Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. We're live, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. So uh, let's start wrapping up the conference. Um, so yeah, I, I usually close the conference, but it's uh, and it's kind of suggested close because you know when the outlaws you know take over, the Elixir Outlaws take over, then uh, yeah, then it just yeah. Uh, they, they'll never finish and then no one will want to listen to you, Francesco. So, yeah, I think it's really, really important. Yeah, I hope you've all had an amazing few days. Uh, I hope you've all learned a lot. I hope you've shared your knowledge with others. And as a result, you're going to inspire others. Um, I think you know, in, in the last few days, we've, we, we've both made and documented history. I think, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, really, really kind of exciting, eye-opening keynotes and your know, fireside chats. And, you know, what, my, my take home is, you know, seeing and, you know, seeing the direction we are all together envisioning the whole Erlang ecosystem taking in the coming years. So uh, it, it's, um, it's not goodbyes, but it's, uh, as we say in Italy, arrivederci, it means see you soon. And before doing that, you know, I want to start thanking everyone. I want to start thanking all of the speakers uh, who, you know, gave a talk today, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, all of the track hosts, all of the volunteers. Why don't you all unmute yourselves, uh, Basha? Allow everyone to unmute themselves and make a lot of noise. Can we just hear this big, uncoordinated clap, 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 clap? Yes, big, big thank you. Perfect. Yes. Clapping <laughs> works much better than trying to sing together. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't pick the latency. So yeah, a big, big thank you to everyone. A big thank you to you know, an amazing program committee who not only helped solicit talks and you know went in and tried, you know pick talks they believed you would be interested in, but also helped select talks. And uh, yeah, everyone who contributed to ask me anything sessions, uh, the fireside chats, the panels, you name it. You know, also I think a lot of the kind of informal chat rooms. Uh, you rock, I think it's, um, and you notice, by the way, uh, attendees, you know, we've gone, you know, from 300 when we started, by the time, by the end of the first day, we're almost up to 350. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's been great. Um, I also, you know, before I go in and thank the sponsors, wanted to thank the dream team. Uh, we've got, you know, Basha, we've got Eva and Eva and John and Michael and Anthony and yeah. and probably lots of others here at ESL, whom, whom, yeah, I'm forgetting. They never prepare a slide, you're thanking themselves. And and then, yeah, I always go in and then they remove it. So a big, big thank you to them. Uh, You rock, you're an amazing team. And, you know, I think a lot of the kind of interaction uh, you're seeing, a lot of the ideas we've implemented, you know, comes, comes from them. You know, we're very much, as I said earlier, focused on the community, but uh, the community wouldn't be there without the support of companies who make these events possible and affordable. So a big, clap, big, big clap for our diversity and inclusion sponsors, which are PepsiCo and the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation. They allow a lot of um, kind of underrepresented groups in tech and students to come in and attend uh, the conference. Erling Solutions has gone in and, and matched uh, matched the number of tickets. So, uh, you know, I think you know, you've really made a difference and hopefully, uh, you know, this difference will be noticed in the community in the years to come. Anyone out there, you know, you should 
speak to your employer and you should get their logo up here. And you, know, you should get them to, to actually come in and sponsor diversity tickets, diversity and inclusion tickets in the upcoming events. You know, the more of us we are, you know, the better it is for everyone. Uh, we've got platinum sponsors, uh, BlockFi and The Real Real. BlockFi will provide wealth management products for crypto, investor, uh, crypto investors' needs, all powered by blockchain technology. And The Real Real is, a lead, <clears throat> is leading the way in authenticated luxury consignment, online and real life in the brick and mortar location. So uh, I think they're both recruiting. I hope you visited the stand and yeah, and uh, yeah, looked at the job ads. We've got gold sponsors, Frame.io and Erlang Solutions. And you know, ESL, Erlang Solutions, will build transformative solutions for the world's most ambitious companies uh, by providing user-focused consultancy, high-tech capabilities, and a connection you know, to a diverse community. And Frame.io is changing the future of how videos are made by helping over a million creative professionals seamlessly collaborate from all over the world. So, so a big thank you and a clap to, to them. And finally, Silver Sponsors, Binary Noggin and Mox. Uh, Binary Noggin is a team of software engineers and architects uh, who serve as a trusted extension of your team, helping your company succeed through collaboration. And Mux develops infrastructure and monitoring tools for developers and publishers of online video. So a big, big clap to all of them. Uh, let's not forget our media sponsors uh, and our media partners. So Alexia Radar, Alexia Podcast, and Clever Bunny. And you know, Clever Bunny were the ones who made the quiz possible this year. So, so a big, big clap to them. So these are the Code Beam winners. Uh, Brujo, am I Brujo? Uh, who in 23 seconds and 396 milliseconds you know, has won the competition. Now, is Emma Brujo really, really Brujo? So you know, we yeah. will have to go. He is Brujo. Okay. So sorry, everyone else. I was going to get you a beer and a drink when we were in the same city. If you were able to beat Brujo, you were not able to beat Brujo. So uh, he wins again, again, again. Okay. We need to, yeah. Uh, Amos, uh, Lukas. Ayush uh, and Tatiana, well, sorry about that. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you, you'll have to beat him next time and then I'll get you a beer. But uh, Brujo, you win a uh, $50 Amazon voucher. And if you prefer some you know, local retailer, let us know. We can abide to that. We can easily handle that. And uh, all the passport contestant winners, we've got uh, Brujo again. I think you're bribing someone here, Brujo. You know, it's, uh, yeah, we've got Jean-Philippe Chaudin, Dunkel Sparrow, Conrad Taylor, and Brandon um, Gottlob. You know, a big, big clap to them and a big thank you, you know, to all our sponsors for making it possible. There you go. Now, it's, um, as I said, it's not a goodbye. It's a see you soon again. Uh, we've got Codebeam V EU happening the 19th to the 21st of May. So that is when we usually have Codebeam Stockholm. And we're sticking to the dates, but uh, we're keeping it safe, even though you're, uh, and we're doing it virtually. We now really hope that after the summer, the 8th to the 9th of September, we'll be able to meet at ElixirConf EU in Warsaw. Uh, we've already booked the Hilton, and we hope, you know, it's going to be, yeah, we, we hope that you know, the situation will allow us to meet in person. At least we're optimistic yeah, uh, uh, we can go ahead with it. And we've also booked uh, the Computer History Museum in Mountain View. And we've done that for the 4th and the 5th of November. 
So, you know, again, meeting virtually was just a placeholder to actually meeting in person. We, again, hope to hope, really, really hope to see you there. And, you know, there will be special tickets, um, you know, combo tickets available for everyone who, who's, who's attended at a very, very special rate. You know, expect an email coming out soon, uh, right, after, uh, right after the conference. So this, uh, you know, please leave feedback. You'll, you will be getting an email right after uh, this if it's not already been sent out. We have a survey. We really want your feedback. I think um, of all of the virtual events I've managed to attend uh, in the last year, we're probably talking 10 or 12. This has been the virtual event where we've really managed to uh, create what we call the Joe Armstrong effect. For those of you who knew, know Joe Armstrong, he used to often stand, you know, sit in the front row and there's some speaker, maybe the first time they were ever speaking, you'd see Joe Armstrong and, and they'd get scared. And then he'd go in and he'd start commenting and adding, you know, views and, and, and you know, getting all enthusiastic and, and start interacting. And these conferences are, you know, are there for that and these, but also for the speakers, you know, to meet other speakers and interact with those listening in on their talks. And I think, you know, we've formulated, we tried the concept, which we think has worked really, really well. You know, through fireside chats, more panels, and a much larger you know space reserved for Q and A. So uh, you know, and, and this has been made possible thanks to all of the comments, all of the feedback, uh, which you know you've all left in the previous events we've been running. So please tell us what you thought. You know, please tell us what we did well. Please tell us what we should be doing better. Uh, we really value your feedback. And we really value your opinions, but not only. Uh, you can win a free ticket for Code Beam San Francisco, uh, which is well, so Code Beam, BB San Francisco Bay Area this November. Okay, so it is now time for you know to hand over to the outlaws, the Wild Wild West, and I, I almost fear you know, what 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 they've got reserved for us. Um, but you know, once we're done, we'll then meet in the in in the, in the Tucan Lounge and and go in and discuss it. So. Over to you guys. Thank you so much for, for being here uh, this evening. Uh, well, this afternoon on your end. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us, Francesco. Yeah, thank you for having oh, us. It's always a pleasure, yeah. It's great to be back. So I, I don't know. I kind of want to start out like Raul, friend of the show, Raul, ask a question here. He said, is this the show? And and I have to say, is Raul, it? it's, it's not. We got to wait. I got to wait. Sit. I've been sitting here all day. Wait till I stand up and then that'll be the show. We'll just start. Right, well, hurry up and stand up. <laughs> Trying. My desk's not going any faster, guys. <sighs> this is how we start like every episode. This or talking about well, coffee. Well, usually Keith Lee's late because he's making coffee. That's right. He's on time. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, all right. No, I'm always the one who's late. It's fine. Uh, it is the show now. Yes. It's yes. Okay, ready? perfect. Sure. It's always perfect. Good. Listen, we, we always have this debate. I come in recording immediately. Uh, this is not interesting to anyone. Uh, nope. How's it going? <laughs> uh, you have to explain it now that you started. Explain what? I don't know. The, okay, never mind. Well, you come in, come in recording. Yeah, yeah. I, always, I always listen. Whatever's in the show is in the show. And the show is the show. So whatever goes into the show goes into the show. We don't edit it out. It's just the show. So, yeah, you just record the call, and then we're good to go. Um, how's it been going? <laughs> I'm I'm doing great. I've I've had uh, the reason I've been in this chair for three days is because the conference has been fantastic. Um, my favorite part always has been the hallway track, and Toucan has been 
a really amazing piece of software for the hallway track uh, to be able to bounce around from table to table and see people going across the room. And uh, every time Frank Hunleth logs in, I just start sending him hearts over and over, no matter where he is. It's really awkward because everybody else gets to see the hearts float across the screen from me to him for like five minutes. That's awesome. (laughs) I love it. And you just did a fireside chat right, right before this. How was that? Yeah. With, with Frank actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't send him hearts in front of everybody there. I would have. Oh, were you sad over, about that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah, we had a good time with Frank and Justin and and catching up with them. I'm excited about the day when we can all do this in person again. But this has been like the next best thing. It really has been. Uh, Toucan. <laughs> I, I can't say enough about it. Uh, it's, you, it's, is this the first time you've used Toucan? It is. It is. Mm-hmm. And I was I was pretty thrilled. At first, it took me a minute to figure out how to talk to people. And I noticed that when people are talking, it like vibrates a gray ring around them. And you can tell the people who have never used it before because they're off by themselves and the gray ring is is going like this over and over and they're all alone. So, you know, they're like, how do I, how do I do anything in here? But uh, you pretty quickly figure it out and it's, it's great. Got to talk to some, some pretty cool people and, and uh, meet up with, with uh, some new faces and some old faces. So, you know me. That's awesome. I'll just hang out in the hallway <laughs> all day if they let me. This is true. Keithy, how are you doing? Good. I'm good. No, it's been good. It's been fun. It's, I've, I've really enjoyed watching the iteration of conferences. And we actually talked about this last week in the episode that is going to come out soon. And then when we talked about this, I think last time we did one of these podcasts, is like the idea of having a conference move virtually uh, is a really interesting opportunity because you can start to take advantage of some of that stuff. And obviously, like, I love going to conferences. I love seeing people. I love hanging out with my friends and all that sort of stuff. I love the hallway. I, I love all of it. It's been fun to see how to take the good parts of that experience and then adapt them and make them work online. Um, and it's been, you know, we now have had a year <laughs> of practice at it or whatever. Um, but it's been it's been really good. Uh, and so I've been just enjoying seeing the evolution of that uh, start to take place. And I think that's really cool because it opens up, it opens up this whole thing where all this like good stuff starts to happen uh, to a much wider group of people who might not for any number of reasons, be able to take advantage of it. So I really enjoy that. And I've been sort of just enjoying that aspect of it um, more than even anything else at this point. Yeah, agreed. It's such a, it's, it's often like, I feel like at the beginning, we're all transitioning and it was, that's the thing, like one of the hardest things to capture, right? Is that hallway track that Amos was talking about, right? When you go to, I love going to conferences, but, and it's for the talks, but it's also to get to see the people. So being able to somehow figure out how to extract that into a digital, digital experience that works um, is super Mm -hmm. rad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not easy. So like figuring that out is awesome. No, and, and doing, doing the live podcast. So this is our fourth live podcast, fifth live podcast, something like that. Uh, sure. but we, we, some of them were on stages and, and these are in this environment. And when you're the, like everybody who's, who's watching here, uh, please like stay, say stuff in the chat. Um, talk to us, give us feedback because, uh, when we're doing shows normally, the only feedback I get is from like Chris's microphone. Uh, and, and, and then when we do, when we've done live shows on stage, it's very different here. We get to be more interactive. We get to see what you're saying. Um, it's, you know, that 
like whenever I say something dumb and you snicker at your neighbor about it, just go ahead and do that in chat now because it's fantastic whenever I get to see everybody interacting. And and that's not something that we get to do whenever we're doing an in-person conference up on a stage, uh, even for speakers. You know, we we have Hoover over here on the left and we have chat and we have Q&A and everything's going on at once. And there's a lot to like watch and keep up with, but it is a, a different experience that I have come to enjoy the first, the first couple of talks that I went to at a virtual conference, I was like, oh no, this is, this is not going to be the same. And you're right. It's not the same, but it's still a lot of fun. So, so please participate. That's what yeah. makes this one special. <laughs> it totally, totally does. Um, somebody just asked how many times did he just say show. I think that was a lot of times. I think it was seven. Um, also, another seven question. Do either of you know what your kids had for breakfast this morning? I know. I exactly know. This is because <laughs> this is the this is the hard-hitting details that people come to this to find out. Uh, avocado toast for my oh. daughter and then uh, oatmeal for, for the boys. Your daughter is super hipster. I was yeah, going to say. No She's like fitting in yeah. with the millennials already. Yeah. Yeah. She's got good I have, taste. I left my house. My kids were still in bed. Yeah, and when they don't have to get up and go to school, they're like, whatever, I'm I'm sleeping. Teenagers, yeah. you know. <laughs> same. I feel the same way. Yeah. I was gonna say, go ahead and also if you want to ask questions, we will respond to them. So so go ahead and uh put go yes. and preemptively put stuff uh into there and we'll talk about it in just a second. And we'll continue to shuck and jive for just a moment uh while questions come in. Can I show off the books on type theory on my bookshelf? No, because I can't out myself as someone who might uh, use types. <laughs> I have a brand of, of dynamic type typing apologists, and I must maintain that brand. That's It's all about uh, refusing to give in even when you may or may not be wrong. That's how you have good brand. Is that your brand? Uh, I hope. Uh, yeah, no, I, ho- I I hope so. I hope that's that's what people take away from this is that's my brand. Um, um, so did any of you get to uh, sit in on any of the talks? Any any interesting insights? Any favorite favorite moments from the conference? I, I already said mine was toucan, um, and, and I also I I took so um, oh man now I'm gonna forget his name Carlos I think was doing uh, um, sketch notes. And uploading them into Hoova, and it was pretty fantastic. And and so I actually did sketch notes too. Um, All right, he inspired the heck out of me, and I I uploaded on there. And it's not near as cool as his, but I'll take. Yeah, it. it takes skill. <laughs> I can't draw like I can't sketch notes. Even for me, would like look like a disaster. Like beyond like stick figures, my ability to like diagram things well quickly is terrible. I just try to make different fonts everywhere. And I do that afterwards. I draw all of them straight lines and then go back at the end and, and fill in and change those straight lines into different things. And totally. then if you do lots of fonts, then people don't notice that you can't draw. And it just looks cool. Right? It <laughs> just right. looks cool. That's what I'm going and, for. Just to try and look cool anyway. And lots of colors. Oh, there you go. There you go. I think we have a, we have a, a question from um, Daniel Craig who asked to be a friend of the show. So, so from Daniel Craig, friend of the show. How can I help people I love to learn to program? I learned mm, programming as a solo activity. So it doesn't come naturally to me to think of learning programming as a pair activity, but I want to help other people get great jobs. 
So how about it, Anna? You you have been yeah. teaching programming a lot over the years. Um, so how can I help people I love? Blah blah blah. I'm trying to I'm just rereading the question. Sorry. Perfect. Daniel, we apologize on behalf of Anna. Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> I want to make sure. Towards your I know. It's not flippant. It's actually really important. I spend a, much, a lot of my free time trying to help people learn to program. Yeah. I just want to make sure yeah. I captured all of the all of the question. You you read um, it again and we'll vamp. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Amazing. <laughs> um, I think Hello. if what what was it? Nope. Nope. I have no idea. Never mind. Never mind. I'm just going to keep going. Um, There are actually a lot of, I mean, I wonder if it's programming in general, um, but there are a lot of uh, resources out there, like for like for varying communities have put together resources to help folks that are just getting into programming Um, for Elixir, like for as using Elixir as an example, I've put in a lot of time developing a curriculum. We're kind of in the process of rewriting it now because it's a little bit outdated because we kind of paused during the pandemic. But as far as the question of like, how do you help teach somebody? I think finding one of those curriculums that are easily accessible. And then I think it's a matter of really just like sitting down and having the patience of walking through the steps with that person and trying to not only help them understand what's happening, but help them understand what's happening in the context of their own understanding, right? Because they come, they have, you know, certain things in life that they've learned, certain understandings that they have. And so not, it's like a combination of learning from first principles and by analogy, where like, Stepping through, stepping slowly with them through something simple, and being able to help them understand what's happening, but also in a relatable way. Um, I think pair programming is great because, especially if somebody's new to programming, you know, you sit down at the terminal, and the terminal itself can be really intimidating. So, just sitting down with them and having them go through the motions of being able to like patiently and slowly explain what's happening um, while you're trying to build something. So you're not just like learning uh, commands or whatever, but you're working together to do some, some simple project. That way that person feels like they've accomplished something and that helps them get excited about it and want, they want to continue learning. Um, I think of as far as the pairing aspect, it's really just a matter of being patient and being willing to explain and find, and if one explanation doesn't work, sitting there and figuring out an explanation that resonates and then building upon that. If that made any sense. Yeah, I... I have I have kids that I try to teach to program mm-hmm. and I found for me giving them their own project and then getting out of the way but being physically in the same room as them while they're doing it can be really helpful and then when they do ask questions uh I guess what is it the socratic method I just try to ask them questions mm-hmm. that they already know the answer to to lead them to it it seems to work really well for my kids whenever I'm teaching programming not so well whenever I try to teach them math. And I'm like, well, what's two plus two? And they're like, that has nothing to do with it. So you, you've, you've got to judge each person individually and the situation totally. that you're in. But um, just being present whenever they're mm-hmm. struggling can help a lot. You know, be that rubber ducky or whatever they, we've called it over the years. Uh, That's a really good point, Amos. The, the question, the continual question asking, like a rubber duck or the Socratic method, whatever you want to call it, like helps them further their own understanding because it helps you figure out what they don't understand. And so that also helps deepen the learning. And I think the, another point is like the frustrating thing I think we can all attest to about learning to program, especially solo, is that are those moments when you get stuck, right? Because when things are going well, it feels good. When those moments where you get stuck, you don't understand something, it's really easy to get defeated. 
and feel like, A, you can't understand it or you're incapable of understanding it or you can't move forward. So really being present um, and being able to help somebody work through those moments um, makes the learning process a lot easier. I think a lot of people, I, I know for myself, well, I, I won't speak for, I won't speak for a mass amount of people that I actually don't know. So I'll also start over. Uh, I know for me also being very self, uh, kind of self-taught in terms of programming. So much of programming is holding a weird mental model in your head, like holding arbitrary rules in your head and they really are arbitrary, right? Like there's very few like overlaps with the rest of the world. And, you know, like there's, there's only like loose analogies you can make it. So you have to be good at just holding onto a weird set of rules and then making intuitions about what those rules imply. And um, I think my, in- my intuition is that those of us who are self-taught, one of the things that, um, defines like self-taught programmers is like that comes very that idea of being able to hold an arbitrary set of stuff in your head comes very naturally to you and if that's the case I, I think it is really challenging to figure out how to like explain that to other people and so I like the idea of having a way to talk about those mental models but I am like at best an armchair educator which is to say I have no real backing in education at all and so I, I this is all just me talking more than it's more than it's like actual well-informed thought. Well, there's more than one approach, right? Um, that's the other thing, right? People, many people learn differently. And so I think it's, it would be, um, it would be a disservice for us to say that this is the one way that works, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that's really not the case. This is a good question here. Um, if if someone, if, if asked by someone on the business side about why use Erlang Elixir, what would you say? Oh, I deal with this all the time. Um, I get asked this question a lot, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Like I get asked this question in a bunch of different venues from a bunch of people. So I think it's, it's, an, it's an interesting on a meta level that this question comes up a lot. So, yeah. I, I always try to figure out why are they asking? Because mm-hmm. there's, there's usually a pretty good, there, there's something that they're concerned about. And no matter what we say, until we figure out what they're concerned about and truly understand where they're coming from, we're never going to be able to communicate to them why use Erlang or Elixir. Um, but recently, I had a client asking me, why, why should we do this in, in Elixir and Phoenix instead of uh, Ruby and Rails? Because they had a lot of Rails experience in the background. And I started talking about performance and... and um, not like non-blocking stuff and dealing with background job because that has been really difficult in my experience in rails whenever you start to get bigger and bigger platforms and it wasn't their concern at all they had been on a project between the rails project and starting this one that was in a language that wasn't well known that even when they went to look for people who had skills in it, when they were starting to get desperate, they went on to LinkedIn and searched and not a single person popped up on LinkedIn. And that is like nearly a limitless platform. So their concern was actually being able to find developers. And I started talking about, you could pull people from other languages and train them. We have Elixir, we have Erlang people that can come in and the quality of the people that I run into. And that actually led them to be really excited about it. The fact that they had in their previous experience spent a lot of time hiring people who weren't the greatest 
quality level in the world and like getting a hold of people that came to work on their teams that then they had to figure out how to, how to let those people go. This is not a nice conversation to have and nobody ever wants to have it. But whenever I talked about, you know, the people that I've met in the Elixir community and the Erlang community being thinkers and learners and people who want to push the envelope, then they were happy because it wasn't about technology or the quality of the technology. It was about the quality of the people. So I went at it wrong to begin with because I had my preconceived notions of why would I choose Elixir, which is a technology reason, but I had to figure out why they wanted to choose it, why they were concerned about it. I, um, I, I was doing a, I was, I was contracting with a company who was like experiencing the same stuff. And I, and I think the question itself is rooted in the, in the, in a sub question, which is that like the company doesn't want to use Elixir. So how do I convince them to do so? <laughs> Like, um, because otherwise, like this wouldn't be an issue, or Erlang, or or whatever. You know, your your beam language, of choice. And I think that you have to, yeah. I mean, you have to figure out what it is like that's keeping, that's like stopping those people from adopting, right? And I don't actually think you can just provide benefits um, because the benefits. Because unlike programmers who see the benefit of everything and the trade-off of nothing and will make any decision based on any arbitrary benefit that they see, like business people do have like totally different rubrics for how they like make those decisions. So I think that you have to figure out what it is that's really like motivating their decisions um, and then work to alleviate those pain points. And those are going to be different on a business by business basis. I, I, I think there's very... Yeah, I mean, it's often going to be optimizing for like, I want to have a hundred X startup mega growth and hire a thousand people tomorrow and that sort of stuff. And it's like, um, I, you know, I don't know what you do about that situation. So, you know, you have to figure out what it is that's keeping them from wanting to adopt the language or the runtime or whatever. And then either, yeah, assuage those fears or, you know, uh, work within, work within the, within that paradigm, right. You understand that context and the ways they're making their decisions and, uh, and optimize for that, which is all real hand wavy and not useful <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, but like, I mean, cause you, the problem is, is like, you can say all these things and we are all like, we're all the totally wrong people to answer this question. <laughs> like in so many ways like we're here like which means we're the wrong ones to like which means we were already bought in like we're you know we're we already believe in it and so it's like you can point to a thousand things of you know oh the runtime stability and like performance and whatever right you could you could name and you can name a bunch of case studies and show people like you know this amount of scale this many developer hours that sort of stuff and it's and, and that may not matter to anybody. So you have to really hit them where it matters for them. You need to un- be empathetic and understand like what's the context that they're working in and then and then try to provide something that's useful to them. So, yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot. Um, I think all of us, Keith Lee, at what point, myself currently and Amos, you know, all do consulting work. And so this comes up a lot as a question and every answer is different because of the context that folks are coming from. Um, and the size of the company and where they are. Somebody said, I'd, I'd include programmer productivity, maintainability, and resilience in your answer. And that's totally true, depending on the conversation that you're having, right? Um, and what they're looking to do and what they're looking for and what perspective they're coming from, right? Because for like, it's like, you know, a technical leader in a company looking for a new language for the systems that they're building and scaling, they might care. If it's business people, 
they might care about different things more than they care. So again, not that they don't care about those things, but as Keith Lee was saying, there are pros and cons um, to every to every decision. And so which ones, what things are they thinking about? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go back to asking questions then and say like really the secret to getting people to use X tool is asking them a lot of questions. Just keep asking questions and you'll, <laughs> you'll figure out what they need. <laughs> or, or to do that, right. To figure out what they need. for sure. Yep. And then you can um, shape, shape your answer to make your tool of choice fit into their pigeonhole. <laughs> Consulting 101. There you, yeah, go. there you go. Congratulations. Everybody go start your own company now. Yeah. Ready. We have another question that kind of shifts a little bit, but um, as far as like needs, what is the, what do y'all think the community needs currently? Better tools, docs, libraries, deployment story, language features, visibility, books, blogs, podcasts. I don't feel qualified to answer this question either. <laughs> I appreciate that people feel like they should ask us, but um, I, th- I think from my perspective, we have a, there's a, we have a, a lot of books. We have a lot of blogs and, and they're good, but many of the things that I see out there are written for beginner early intermediate. I wouldn't even say like advanced intermediate people and I'm going to look, I'm going to read that in just a second, Robert. <laughs> uh, and the, uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't read it. It's too small on my screen. Um, I feel like we need some things that, that get more in depth and get more to the point to, to get, to push us past that intermediate level and into the advanced level and get us thinking about different things. I do think like, don't walk away from the beginner level stuff and the early intermediate level stuff, but I think as us as a community to, to continue to grow and continue to push, if that's, if that is our goal, I mean, not all of us want to do that. Some of us love a small tight knit community and we don't want to get too big. Right. But if that is our goal as a community is to grow, then I, I think we need to grow up and out. And right now I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on out, but let's also grow up. Yeah. I, I that that was going to be something I was going to say is like, I think something between like, medium and advanced level information. I don't know how you want to put these scales on there, right? Like everybody's going to have a different viewpoint on that, um, on like what you call those scales. But like, we, I think we need some, yeah, I think there's kind of a gap. There's definitely a gap there when it comes to how to put this stuff in production and like deal with it. Um, and then like more advanced information. Like I, I was just trying to think, like I can't think of a single Elixir book that talks about ETS. And like, ETS is the most important thing <laughs> that I use on like a daily basis or like one of them, right? It's like, like, uh, it's such a crucial part of building um, systems with this stuff. And it's, and like, I can't think of a single book that touches on it. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, like, it, it, I, I know Sasha's book does, but it, I mean, like gets deeper into the, like, here's how to use this for a bunch of different use cases and that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, obviously like Fred's book, uh, gets into some of that stuff, but you, but I hope, I hope you take my meaning. There's, I don't know that there's like, um, like a, like a end to end sort of like building an application and here's how you use all this sort of quote unquote advanced stuff. I don't, I don't know that I consider ETS to be advanced, but you, you get, you get what I'm saying. How about you, Anna? 
Yeah, I think I agree with those sentiments. Um, I'd like to applaud that the community has done such a good job with so many resources for folks that are just getting into the community. Um, there are certain communities where it's not the case, but I agree that um, expanding up or expanding more in depth um, into more advanced topics um, would be a thing I would love to see more of. I think I'll just say too, like the thing that I want to see personally um, is not a specific thing. It's pretty nebulous, but I think like, I just want to see people build more cool stuff and talk about it. <laughs> like, I know that that's not useful, but you know, I, I think that if people want this ecosystem to succeed, we have to all sort of keep championing it and saying like, no, like here's the success of it. And here's like why this is working for us. And here is all the cool crap that you can just do. Like, isn't this awesome? Uh, I, I think the more we all go out and talk about that kind of stuff and support each other in all of our weird ideas, the better off we're going to be. I've said this before. I, you know, it's like, I don't think we win quote unquote. Like, I don't think we ever, you know, I don't think we're going to see a huge amount of adoption trying to play the like mass adoption game in the sense that like you can't out, uh, you can't out, you know, rails, rails, rails exists. <laughs> like they already did it. So like, what are you going to do that's different? That is um, revolutionary in its own way. And so that's, that's the thing I'm interested in. And I, I just want to, I'll just say, I just want to encourage people to like, go out and do that kind of stuff. I think that that's really important. Go out and build something, you know, that you, people tell you is a bad idea. <laughs> like, cause you know, I don't know. Lots of people, people. Do you think it's a good like, idea? Go yeah. It. Yeah. If you think it's cool, go out and build it. You know, like that, that could be fine. I think that teaches people to think too. Like when you're, when you're willing to go outside, you know, um, I saw, uh, somebody, Justin, I think was talking about universities and their teaching and what they're teaching, but really the tool I, I choose Erlang, I choose Elixir because it's a tool that makes the problems that I enjoy solving a little simpler to solve than if I tried to write it in C or Java or, or anything else. And, and the beam is, is really what, what gets us there. Right. Or, uh, all the work that, uh, Robert and Mike and Joe, um, Bjorn, uh, thank you, all of you. Um, I see Robert down there in the corner. So thank you, Robert, for for all the work that you you brought forward because those are the problems that I want to solve. So if you find that weird problem that you want to solve and you get excited about it, other people will get excited about learning too and learning about this language and this ecosystem and how it can solve the problems that they want to solve. And if it does, that's okay. So I want universities to teach people how to think and question what they're doing more than I want them to teach a specific language. And I think that will get us to a better point as, as a uh, wider community, even outside of beam, but as a, a software community, as, as human beings, we'll be at a better place if we get people to think and question what they're doing, why they're doing it and how they're going to do it in the future. I didn't mean, I feel like I got deep there. I didn't mean to. Very. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's an important thought, right? And I think it's very, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's the important part, right? Keith Lee, you look like you're deep in thought. I'm reading the question, sorry. Okay. I'm trying to catch, I'm trying to catch up. I feel like a Twitch streamer. I'm trying to catch you up. You start shouting Apparently. at bits. Yeah, um, thanks for I'm, that sub. <laughs> <laughs> you're natural. Anybody ever tell you that? Um, 
Uh, I'm going to answer real quick the Elixir Bridge question because there seem to be a few votes on both of those. Where is it going from here? We're trying to rewrite, revamp the curriculum and bring it up to date because we basically paused for the pandemic. It's me and uh, my co-founder, Matt Mills, and we both were really busy. Um, and so, and like life happened and the pandemic happened. Um, and so we're trying to get it back up and running. So hopefully there will be a new curriculum coming up soon. You'll be able to see. Um, and as far as if you wanted to make an event, feel free to reach out to us. Either, um, either if you could go to the, if you go to the GitHub or the elixirbridge.org site um, or on Twitter, you can find us and we can tell you a little bit more about how to make that happen um, offline. That's a little bit more of an involved conversation, but we can definitely help you provide the support and maybe find sponsors if you need to um, set up a workshop, um, maybe now virtually, eventually in person. Um, but please feel free to reach out to us. Um, this is the thing about the live shows is that you get all of our awkward pauses. That's true. Um, <laughs> I do like this question. What What are the challenges that y'all see um, that the Erling Elixir community have over the next few years? Uh, I think I think that goes back to that growth thing. How how there are so many of us in this community that are in that intermediate field. We, we don't have five years experience in this. We, there's a lot of incoming people. So how do we get that growth from intermediate to advanced users? And in, even in Erlang, like there's, I feel like there's a new influx of people coming into Erlang too. Some of them through Elixir, but they're, they're in that same place. We need to give them tools and resources to grow from that intermediate to advanced. And that is what will sustain us and keep us around for a long time for the future. Do you feel like your response to somebody asking how I can get Elixir deployed to production? Yep. <laughs> Sorry, there's a running joke of, amongst my amongst my like uh, friend group because people. It's one of the things that people talk about a lot. Is like deploying Elixir is really hard, and then you like ask them what they're trying to do, and it's like, well, I'm trying to provision Amnesia in clustered setup across three different disks on Heroku, and it's like, oh. Okay, well, I understand the problem that you're having. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's like I want to deploy a super stateful application with zero downtime deployments on Kubernetes with Docker, with you know, like across multiple cloud providers or something. And it's like, yeah, that's like just hard. Like I don't like no, like literally any runtime. That's like literally just hard. <laughs> so like, and so I think the the notion that Elixir is really hard to deploy or something like that these days, right? Like, I'm not going to be an apologist for anything, but I think these days is like, that's way over overblown. Um, if you want to use releases and all that sort of stuff and Docker and all those sorts of things. If you want to like do complicated stuff, then yes, <laughs> your deployment story necessarily is harder. And there is no, there is no like anything that's going to save you from that. Like it would be hard in literally any runtime. And it, I don't know. I, I just find that to be very funny. Um, so it's become a meme. Uh, uh, within like my social elixir circle of, of people saying like elixir is literally undeployable um and stuff like that uh which is just not accurate these days did you say i've i've deployed it <laughs> yeah i did it i did it one time it happened one time yeah, yeah i managed it one time <laughs> and therefore it exists did you 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 look like you were thinking deeply about the challenges facing the community and you were gonna say something before i distracted you with the 
calling you out on the joke around him. No, I don't know. I, it's a, that's a really, really good question. And I, I'm just thinking about what that, what that looks like, what the challenges are now and, uh, and, and, you know, where we go from here. I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer to that. That's a really tough one. Do you, do you all feel like you've seen the community's been around for a while? Do you all feel like you've seen kind of good habits and patterns develop as far as we build systems in the community? Or do you feel like there are approaches that you've yourself personally taken that you think work well, but that haven't necessarily been adopted that, that you would like to see more of? Like, I'll say this. The thing, that I, the thing that's bouncing around in my head is like the major thing that I'm concerned about. I think we're at, um, we're very, hmm, how do I talk about this? I think we are very close to a tipping point where our early adopters who have a lot of knowledge of this stuff are going to leave. Um, because, because early adopters always leave. Like people who adopt early, people who early adopt stuff tend to early adopt stuff over and over again, right? Like that's a, in aggregate, right? Not individually, right? But like in aggregate, turns out people who are uh, way less risk averse for adopting a thing will continue to adopt new things <laughs> as they find the new thing that works for them. And they try a bunch of stuff, right? I think we're reaching a point where, you know, those people are going to start to leave. And if that happens without sort of filling the gaps of knowledge there, then, then, and then that's kind of what I, what I was getting back to with the thing about, you know, I think one of the things we, we kind of maybe need a little bit more of is like kind of intermediate level to let intermediate to advanced level documentation, not documentation, but like books, like, and, and that sort of knowledge stuff. That's kind of what drives me to think that is because if that, if all of a sudden, like all those people stop talking and they move on, then you're left with um, a, a real large gap. And it's really hard to begin to bridge that gap, both from a, um, just like from a, you know, personal standpoint, but I think also from a marketing standpoint, like this, this matters when it comes to like marketing the language and the runtime and all this sort of stuff. And so I think that, um, that's, that's a thing that's been on my mind for a while now. And, um, I'm slightly concerned about it. I don't know that I know how to do anything about that. Um, but this is definitely a thing that I've been thinking about a lot and talk and trying to talk to people about a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually hadn't considered that aspect of things, but given the state of the community, that's totally a real, a real thing. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I don't either. So, you know, that's, I mean, and, and to some degree that there's not like anything, any one person can do. And it's why I continue to champion the idea of like, go out there and like show people the cool stuff that you've built. Cause I think getting people talking about it and driving excitement and getting people you know, interested in that sort of stuff and building that hype, like as kind of dumb as that sounds, like is really important, like really exciting. And I think that 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 can have a large impact on how people view the community um, and that sort of stuff. You know, I don't know that we want to get to like, as much as I value this as a, as somebody who uses libraries, I don't know that it's like people make weird judgment calls on stuff, right? It's like why the, commu the closure community occasionally goes into their readmes and does like proof of life, like commits to their readmes where they're like this library still works two years after i wrote it, it hasn't changed it hasn't broken so you know it's still good to use but i just wanted to commit it so you would know that i it's still alive um you know that sort of stuff uh, it's like that's uh you know that's a way to to tackle that but um you know driving interesting uh discussions about that stuff is useful so i think we're getting close to 
Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're getting close to time or we're over time. Yeah, I think we're over time. And it says the next, the after party starts in one minute. All right. And you have to continue to shill for Toucan. That's right. So everybody come to Toucan. And uh, I was told yesterday that I'm really good at icebreakers. And so um, I'm going to call you out. Mackenzie Morgan hopped in to talk to me. So everybody go talk to Mackenzie Morgan because she's really cool. And how's that for an icebreaker, Mackenzie? <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> well, in, in, in closing, real quick, uh, for both of you, one thing you're, you think you're excited about for the community for the coming year? Oh, that's supposed to be a real quick answer. I'm really excited to maybe attend a conference at the end of the year, barring any uh, obvious problems <laughs> wherever that. Keithley is on Same. your screen. That's Same. what I'm, I'm pointing. Yeah. I, 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 I like I'm a big fan of remote work and everything and, and remote conferences and getting to see people that I don't normally get to see. But for me personally, the energy to make new things and, and to do those fun things that we talked about all of us needing to do, I get energized by other people and, and talking to them and their ideas and in person. So that's just me, but yeah, uh, we'll Great. be back together soon. Super excited to maybe see y'all person, maybe in November. Be and then we'll see what happens with NX too. I'm pretty excited about that. Totally. All right, y'all. Well, thank you for listening to us talk um, and asking questions, et cetera. Super fun. Thank you. See you all in uh, Toucan. Be a Toucan. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>